Hello, my beautiful woman in listeners. Welcome back. My guest this week is Leslie Thornton. Leslie is the founder of Clur, a holistic, purpose-driven, eco-inclusive botanical skincare line. She sent me the entire line before we recorded and it is the most beautiful product. I am absolutely obsessed. Before founding Claire, Leslie made her way across the beauty industry spectrum, beginning at Estee Lauder as a beauty trainer. She then transitioned to working as a freelance makeup artist, specializing in editorial and advertising. From there, Leslie was cast as an on-air beauty expert for the TLC network. After a decade in the beauty industry, she realized that there was little to no representation for people of color in the clean beauty space. In 2010, she obtained her esthetician's license and started her own private practice. After years in the industry, she was equally frustrated by the harmful but hardworking conventional beauty products, but also the lack of rigorous R&D and science to back up green beauty products. She realized the real issue was the lack of consideration for science and data, prioritization of Eurocentric beauty, and absence of education available to most consumers. So she quietly began building Claire from top to bottom with no team or funding, relying on her own relentless desire to build responsible products that deliver consistent results through elegant and luxurious formulations. Leslie is an incredible entrepreneur. I adored this conversation with her. I relate so much just to her prioritization of her own mental health. And she gives so many great insights on how to deal with burnout and different points in your career of building a business. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. Now, let's get on over to our conversation with Leslie. Welcome to the Woman Inc. podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. We were just catching up on how life happens. and There's nothing we can do about it which I wish we were recording. I feel like so many people can relate to that. My apartment flooding. I um, think there can be an entire <laughs> podcast called Life Happens. Life Happens. <laughs> so first, thank you and your team so much. You sent me the most beautiful products I've ever received. I am so obsessed with your line. It's not even funny. I didn't even realize you got products. I'm so excited. Your PR team, I've used it for like a few months now and I'm truly upset. Like it is such an amazing product line. So what I, product sticks out to you? The cacao mask is maybe like my favorite mask I've ever had. You know what's so funny when we talk about like formulation, a lot of people it really gravitated to that product. But, you know, and it is sensorial. That's like the first thing people talk about is the scent. 
But it's so funny because that wasn't part of the formulation process at all. Wait, tell us about it. So with that particular product, just kind of starting off, you know, I'm an esthetician, an educator, and a formulator. So, um, and above all, I'm a consumer. I love beauty products. Um, I've loved beauty products since I was young. And when I started Clur, I really started it for my private clientele as an esthetician. So it was a devoted clientele of 2,500 people. And I realized that there was so much missing in the beauty space. It was either you were a natural beauty brand or you were a a green beauty brand or you were a science-led beauty brand. And I thought, well, why can't you really... We kind of... The consumer really needs all of that. I need all of that. I need a little bit of all of that. So I really wanted to cater to building this brand um, with a holistic approach and a complete approach to beauty and not saying that you have to be only a scientific brand or you only have to be this one thing. So Supreme Seed is really a reflection of that approach in the sense that um, when you open it, it has that cacao scent, but it has glycolic acid, it has lactic acid, it has malic acid, three acids. That's an exfoliating cocktail that literally just decongests the skin lightly. Um, it exfoliates the skin on three levels, lightly purifies the skin with kale and clay, And it really is the representation of that holistic approach and um, real life approach to using products. Like you said, you find enjoyment in it. You really find that it's an experiential product, but it's also real skin health. Yes. And I'm so sensitive and it's so gentle. I really do feel that, that it's working and after I'm so glowy, but it doesn't irritate me at all, which is rare for my skin. That's because, I mean, I think we do use the clinical ingredients, the science-backed ingredients that like the glycolic, lactic, and malic. But other percentages that are just right and they tick the boxes so that we're getting that exfoliation, we're getting that radiance, but we are not getting that irritation. And so whenever we can avoid irritation as much as possible, we want to because irritation leads to inflammation. Love it. Okay. So let's rewind a little. We're jumping back. Yeah. I know we jumped right in. in. But I want to hear about your story. And you have such an amazing background. I know you worked at Estee Lauder. Can you kind of walk us back and tell us how you got started in this industry in the first place? Oh, so since I was a young girl, I mean, since I can remember, I've always loved beauty. I I don't really know anything else besides the beauty industry. I don't know anything else besides um, makeup and skincare. It's always been my passion. It was... I would say well before Estee Lauder, it was like 1997, 1998. And girls from my high school were lining up outside my parents' house, like ready to get their hair and makeup done. And so this is like way before the Mac counter, way before you could go to the mall and get your makeup done for prom or anything else like that. There was my parents' house. So, you know, my dad would be in the the living room watching the football game and I'd be in the kitchen doing my friend's hair and makeup and getting them ready for prom. So I think right then and there was my foray into beauty. Like that was actually the moment it really like resonated with me that I could make a living doing this. And so eventually a few years later, I got my first job at um, Estee Lauder. I worked my way up from a freelancer to an employee, like a counter girl um, at retail, which was actually some of the best time in my entire life. I loved working with the customers. I loved retail. You'd stand up for eight hours. You'd have varicose veins. You'd be tired. You couldn't drink water on the floor, but I didn't care. It was like the best time in the entire world. And so 
Um, after a few years um, with Estee Lauder, I went to Laura Mercier and then I went to Matt Cosmetics and then I worked myself up as a trainer. And so I've been through, been in beauty for a long time, as I said. And eventually I became a freelance makeup artist. I, I went away from retail altogether, went away from corporate cosmetics and really started focusing on just using my, my artistry skills in production, film and television and advertising. Um, and if anyone knows anything about production, it's long hours. It's long, long hours to work on a film. So, you know, it can be 16 to 18 hours. And after a while, you start realizing, I don't want this life. Like at a certain point in your life, hard work, you know, seems great in your early 20s or in your teens. Working really hard sounds, you know, honorable and like this really great gritty thing. But when you get to a certain point in your life, you realize I don't want to work 18 hours a day for the rest of my life. And I started to think about self-preservation around like 28 and how how could I do this at 55? How am I going to be able to do this at 58 and stand up all day and work these long days, sometimes in the desert, sometimes at the hot beach? How do I take control over my career and make decisions that not only help me preserve myself, but you know, my physical body would be... A lot of people who work in production break down over a few years. So um, I started doing weddings focusing on working on the weekends, really. And the weddings were great. It was a relaxed, it was a, you know, environment for the most part. It was a good time. The makeup was always light, natural and beautiful. I loved that. I didn't really, I didn't excel as, um, you know, like the the YouTube makeup artist. I was not like the beat down, beat down person. I, I couldn't do all that. I was just really good at making skin look like skin, making um, eyes just beautiful, shapely and soft. I really loved a, monochromat, a monochromatic palette. So I, I really, kind of loved weddings. It was weird. It was like this is kind of genre of, of beauty that I really felt inspired to work in. And after that, I realized my wedding clients, I was basically, when you're doing weddings, you're building a business on a one-time affair. And yes, people get married every day. People get married every weekend, but it's hard to get clients when you build a business. It's hard. So instead of that, I started thinking, well, God, am I only really going to be in these? I'm going to do all this work, build up this clientele, and they're all going to be on a one-time basis. So I had the free time while doing weddings on the weekends. I had Monday through Friday open and I enrolled into esthetician school. Um, I figured I could like learn to do brows. I'd learn a little bit about skin. I'd have some education. I could do a little facials here and there. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but... I fell in love. I fell in love. Weddings were still being balanced on the weekends. I was still getting my licensing during the week. And then finally, when I um, left aesthetic school and got my state board, passed my state board exam, it was like the day I got the license, I was like, I'm opening a salon. I'm opening a spa. I'm jumping right into business. I have all these wedding clients already. They can come see me for their brows. They can come see me for their facials. And then I will have a repeat business. That's kind of how I got started. And over time, um, that started in 2010. And that built up to about uh, 2,500 regular clients. And I was uh, treating people left and right. And essentially, I just removed everything off my plate, focused on skin health and being basically involved in my client's life in a way that not just an esthetician who would do facials, but really teaching clients how to have a holistic approach to skin health and how to optimize their skin health. Um, There's nothing your esthetician can really do if you don't sleep enough. There's nothing an esthetician can do if you're not eating well. There's nothing that an esthetician can do if you're stressing your cortisol and your hormones are out of whack. It's very difficult to treat the skin on a topical surface level if the clients aren't educated on their wellness and their well-being holistically. So 
that became kind of the the um, extension of Clara as we see it now. I don't see clients. I'm not doing in-person education anymore, but I we do that through our blog. We do that type of education through our newsletter. And um, we have a pretty big following on, on our blog. And, and a lot of people love our, our approach to skin health because it's not just in products. It's, it's really rooted in looking at ourselves multidimensionally and a, really in a, a comprehensive approach. So that is how I got started. And that's kind of how Flora um, has, has become what it is to net, till now. And I think my, my vision was just to always build this modern beauty brand but with a humanistic approach. And I really feel like, you know, that's, that's what I've done. Beautiful. It's so good. And so walk us through then the product coming into fruition. We're really becoming a brand because I know you are doing this completely by yourself, which is very hard to do. Can you walk us through those early days of really building out the brand? Yeah. So the very first time, I mean... I realized I needed products was I was recommending in my facial studio, my practice, I was recommending so many different products. My clients were going all over the place. I was telling them to go to CVS for a cleanser, go to Macy's for this, you know, exfoliant, go to Sephora just for a Dennis Gross peel pad and go here for that. And so I basically, I realized I was sending my clients to six or seven different places to get different things. And in that time, I just realized, you know what? I need to give my clients at least the very basics. I should be able to provide my clients with a proper cleanser, which it sounds like it's a mundane or small thing, but cleansing really does set up our skin for optimal um, skin health. It's the thing that we do 14 times a week. It's the thing that we use most consistently, especially if you cleanse, if you double cleanse, if you cleanse only at night. Most people are double cleansing at night. So you think about it, it's a lot of cleansing. So I started with a cleanser. I basically had a lot of connections from trade shows, previous trade shows that I had attended as an esthetician. Going back when I was in esthetician school, you'd go to these trade shows. That was part of your requirements was to go to trade shows. And so I was just meeting a lot of connections. I had a lot of laboratories, a lot of chemists that I had just kept a huge Rolodex, like a big folder of little cards that I kept. I still have it to this day. And I called up a chemist and I said, listen, I've been doing facial for a while now. And I'm realizing that my clients really don't have gentle yet effective, um, sophisticated products, mainly using plants. It does not have to be 100% natural. I never want to make that claim, but I love embracing botanicals because I love showing people how plants really do play a role in our lives. And so I found an amazing chemist here in Los Angeles and we started working on one product that's really all I could afford at the time. And my clients loved it. They responded to it so well that I eventually figured, okay, I'm going to need a second product at some point. And I didn't really have the money for it. So I moved in with my boyfriend at the time and rented out my place and turned it into an Airbnb. I was able to, it was, this was the beginnings of Airbnb. It's like a pop in time. My apartment is in Hollywood near Hollywood Boulevard. So tourists were like booking it left and right. So I was not only able to pay my rent, but I was making pretty good money on Airbnb. And I was able to really um, save up enough after all the cost to do three formulations. So I took the money from the Airbnb and gave it to the chemist, started building products. And it was it actually turned out to be a great situation because I was 
I ended up being with my boyfriend and living with him, closing the Airbnb. I'd made just enough money to get it going. And so I made a serum called Symmetry Fluid and we still have that in the line. And then I made a physical, I think it was skin soil. Yeah, the thing was skin soil, which is a, a physical enzymatic um, powder paste that you basically put into your cleanser. You mix it together and it turns into a customized polishing exfoliant. And that was how the products came about. The brand wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a brand by any means by then, but it, it was definitely a full-fledged product. Like I, I had plenty of people buying it. I was selling it online. And, and then I realized the presentation of this really does matter. Like this really does matter. The, the, the visual aspect. Um, and I actually studied at FITM for visual communications. It's, what's funny was when I was going to FITM, I... I loved visual arts. I love visual communications, but no one really understood my major. No one really got it. And it's now everyone does visual communications. It's like, it's extremely, it's, it's, it's in society everywhere now. So I use my, my background in visual communications to build out um, this aesthetic or visual sort of life of the brand. And I called up uh, a great, um, I wouldn't say at the time they were a big agency, but it was a, a woman. Her name is Sarah Moat. She's fantastic out of Venice, Moat Agency. I, I found her as a designer on um, Shopify at the time. It was just the very beginnings of Shopify. And she was a jewelry website designer. So she mainly had jewelry clients. And I said, if you can do a beautiful jewelry site, I bet you can do a beautiful beauty site. And she said, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, sure. I've never done beauty before, but I said, you do this, the way you present jewelry, why can't you know beauty products be presented that way? She said, sure, we'll, we'll do it. And so um, not only was I her first beauty client, but it ended up being, you know, later on African Botanics, Moon Juice, Christy Dawn. I mean, it's endless how many beauty brands she has. I think she's actually strictly now beauty. And it's on fashion, but we've grown together. She was my very first collaborator in, in, in Clur. Eventually, I landed on the shelves of Urban Outfitters, um, being the very first and only Black esthetician at the time to ever have a skincare line in a major retailer. I didn't know it at the time. Urban Outfitters didn't realize it, but like there were no Black estheticians with a skincare brand on the market at the time. Um, nothing. It was This was 2014. And so uh, I just thought, well, you know, I, I'll give this a go, see how it goes. And it was unbelievable. It blew my mind. I had never known, I, I'd never seen the back end of retail. I didn't know what it looked like to build a company from the ground up and scratch and then a retailer reach out and say, hey, we'd like to carry that or sell that. I thought I was just going to forever cater to these women or this two, two, it wasn't just women, but it was 2,500 amazing people. Well, Urban Outfitters slowly starts to roll and it's not just one or two stores. It's starting off with online. And that's a huge, their, their online platform was huge. And then their individual stores. So one day it's down the street from me in a store and then it's near my mom. And my mom's like, I saw it at Urban Outfitters. And a friend is like, I saw it at Urban Outfitters. You know, and someone out of state's like, I saw it at Urban Outfitters in Las Vegas. And it's it just, it blew my mind that I realized I could have reach as an esthetician, as a black skincare educator, I could have reach reach so many more people than I was actually reaching in my facial studio and educate so many more people, give them the knowledge and inspire them, the knowledge that I knew as an esthetician, the professional care that I, I had and inspire them to live better lives by using skincare as a catalyst to take care of themselves. And so at that point, I realized, I think I want to close my facial studio and strictly build a brand. And that was the very beginning of the brand. 
I spent two years in retail with Urban Outfitters. We did extremely well. And I I got uh, very sick. I, I was not well. I was dealing with metabolic syndrome. I was dealing with thyroid disease. I had all types of issues that I didn't realize were all connected to my diet. And I began to really struggle with not just my uh, physical health, but my mental health began to struggle. The stress began to weigh down on me. And so I called Urban Outfitters one day and I just said, listen, I think I'm going to hold off on this. I have to choose me again. And this is again about self-preservation. It's very, you know, it's back to that time of like, you realize what do you really want? And when I was working in production, it was the same thing. I didn't want to work 18 hours at Urban Outfitters. I didn't want to compromise myself just to sell products. So I didn't have a team at the time. I really didn't understand the ins and outs of retail, but it was growing so fast. So, but it was relatively unknown. So I just said, you know, I think I'm going to take a break and actually took uh, a break from December 2016, I think, to January 2019 when I relaunched Clur, as you see it today. But in that time of taking care of myself and taking that time off, that's a long time to take off. Um, yeah, I, I gave myself a real break. I didn't, it wasn't like a three week, three week break or a two week break. It was like a real break. And I took time to rebrand and re-envision a brand that could last and live forever. I wanted to put something out into the world that looked beautiful, but was also meaningful and intentional. And it was not trendy. It was not on trend. Nobody had the same aesthetic. No one in, on Instagram was, you know, it was smoothie girl aesthetic at the time. Everything was pink. Everything was glossier and cool and Gen Z. And I was getting old. Like, I'm like, I'm tired of this. I'm getting old. I'm like, I can't stand the way this looks. Like, I'm tired of it. So I just did my own thing. Yeah. I, you know, found models that were mature, that were over 45. I found black models. I found, you know, I found models that had curly, kinky hair. I I wanted to see it all. And it was funny because you, you did see this look. Definitely, um, I think makeup was more inclusive at the time, but skincare, you didn't see it. You didn't see it in the skincare business. The last time I actually saw a black model, the face of a, of a skincare brand was Laya Kadibi. And that was in 2004 for Estee Lauder. The ads were absolutely stunning. I never forgot them. And she was in this beautiful like gold blouse with these pearls on. And she was the very first spokesperson, first spokeswoman for Estee Lauder, black spokeswoman for Estee Lauder. And I think she's um, still modeling. She's absolutely stunning. But she was really a lot of the inspiration around the visuals and how I wanted um, my brand to reflect um, not only eco-inclusivity, but really look like a wellness brand, but was much more sophisticated and not, and still could be your friend. It wasn't stuffy. It wasn't meant to be overly expensive. It could still be your friend. It could still lean into your life and you'd, you'd have you know, um, you'd have a place for it. But I felt like in some ways it was, wellness was unapproachable at the time. It was, it felt like it was meant for people who had and not the have not. And so I think with Clur, um, when I finally did launch it, we, we, we really did a good job at making it feel like this eco-inclusive beauty brand, but also it felt like art. So people discovered it just because it felt like art. Some people discovered it for the product. Some people discovered it because of our writing and our blog. Some people discovered it word of mouth. Um, the first year was very difficult. I cannot lie. The first year for the brand was hell. Um, could I even get an email back? Could I... I, I 
you kidding me? Yeah, right. Um, I would reach out to editors. I would tell them about this beauty brand. And I would distinctly say, listen, I am a Black esthetician. I cannot think of one other Black esthetician that has a skincare brand on the market in the luxury space. I would love to talk to you about my experience. I would love to talk to you about my products and my brand. And I would get the run around and the, you know, the out of office response, but then, you know, call me on Monday. Anything you could imagine is what I went through. It was actually quite traumatizing because I spent so, um, two years, two years rebuilding everything from the ground up to really launch to, to crickets. Very much not, I mean, I, I have to say, the only people who were interested were the clients and my clerk community that I had built on Instagram. Um, but you know, the consumer is always ahead of trends. The you know, the business doesn't make trends; consumers make trends. And so, uh, what I realized was my my customer was already there. They wanted it. They loved it. It was just going to be the right time and right place and the right retailer. And in 2020, we we grew exponentially. I think we just got so much. There was so many, so much awareness around Black beauty and Black beauty businesses and Black owned businesses. And so, you know, I, it was just, I was already ready. I had already launched. Um, this was a year and a half into, into launch when the, all of this kind of goes off. I have to tell people, you know, Black owned businesses operate year, all year long. They don't just operate in February. So, you know, it's important that um, I think at this time, it's really, it becomes important that people are like, listen, these Black owned businesses are under underrated. Number one, their products are underrated. They're not on the radar or they just don't have the means or they're not funded or they're not getting funding. So that awareness was really, really important for us because it really did show that, um, tell people, show people, everyone finally saw we were there. You know, our community were like, we know, like we already knew, we already know, like if you know, you know, but it was really great because finally a lot of, you know, whether it be the magazines or editors or podcasts or any press outlet, like it was finally our time. And it wasn't like I built the business to to fall into that category or to benefit from that at all. You know, this thing, social uprising that had happened just came at a time that we'd already been in business for a year and a half. I, well, not a year and a half, but well over a year and a half. And it just wasn't moving. And that kind of just gave us the boost that we needed. The awareness and the attention spotlight was was on, on Clur. And it was... A lot of unfortunate things happen around that time, but for us, it turned out to be quite the blessing. Yeah. You feel like, first of all, there's a few things I want to cover here because one, you are just the quintessential entrepreneur and I love your story. And I feel like this is going to inspire so many people because we don't see those days of no one responding to your emails and getting physically sick and having to write the email, I need to step away. Those are really hard moments and those are really draining moments. How do you feel like you've been able to keep going and to keep pushing yourself to that next level? I mean, I think like, when we talk about like what motivates us and what keeps me accountable, it's my past self. Mm. It's the 17 year old me who said that I was going to retire when I'm 30. (laughs) (laughs) It was the, it was the, I'm going to be rich, 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 rich when I'm 29. That's a far dream. It's not happened. It definitely didn't happen. I'm well past 30. And so it didn't happen, but it's that person. It's that soul. It's, um, it's the young me. It's a 17 year old me. And I mean, I think Virgil Abloh said that, that like, Everything he did in his his um, career was for the seventeen year old him, mm. and it was seventeen or eighteen for me 
that it really did hit, that everything I was doing was a, for a past me. It was to hold myself accountable to my own dreams. No one can really dream for you. You know, no one can dream for you. No one can aspire for you. Your parents can want the best for you, but no one can dream for you. And when you let yourself down, you're, it's you. Yeah. It's still you, you have to answer to. So I didn't care how long it took. I didn't care what I had to do. I just knew that I had to be healthy. I had to be a sound of mind. I had to be physically able and I had to be competent. And all those things required me to take really good fucking care of myself. Like really good. There is no business without you. There's no business without you, regardless of how big your team is. Even if you are just the face, you still have to be capable of doing it. And I had burnt myself out to the ground. And so I realized this dream doesn't come true without me. No one can dream this for me. No one can achieve this for me. And so I think what really holds me accountable is just knowing that I am the only one who sees this in my mind. I'm the only one who believed in this when I was a kid. I'm the only one who um, knows what this is capable of becoming, you know, until it Investors don't believe in you until you've hit a million dollars in sales. So you've got to believe in yourself at a $10 sale, a $1,000 day, a $10,000 day, or, you know, it's a $100,000 year. You have to believe in yourself at every last dime because an investor doesn't want to hear it until you've made a million dollars. Yeah, so true. I love what you said too about the consumer really does come first. Like when you, when the consumer gives you that social proof, that's when the editors start responding and all of the, the B2B they start paying attention to you. You have got to, I mean, it was like, I couldn't get a single response in 2019, January, 2019, um, January 26, 2019, I launched. I couldn't get a single anything back. It was absolute crickets. I mean, and her roll around May, 2020, I probably had 70 retailers reach out and it would, it just blew my mind. I could not imagine. I said no to 69 of them. I love that. I was going to ask you, like, did any of that stick with you? Like you didn't respond to me. I no, I didn't, I didn't really play that game. I just said, no, I just said, no. Like I was reaching out to you. I asked, I wanted to be on your platform, blah, blah, blah. At that point, the ball was in my court. And I, I said, you know what? You, you go with the retail that um, not only wants to carry you for the reasons of that make their brand or their retailer look inclusive, go with the retailer that believes in the product, go with the retailer that believes in the consumer, go to where the customer is. And eventually that was Credo. Eventually that was Credo. I only chose Credo. Wow. That's really hard too, because it's hard to say no to money, especially in the beginning. Um, After taking off three years, almost three years, so 2016 to 2019, I realize it's not hard to say no to money. Whoa, that's so good. So I, I realize, yeah, I realize it's not hard. I said no to Urban Outfitters. It was two hundred stores. When it comes down to you, you only have one you. You only have one health. You only have one body. Money cannot buy it. I promise. You, money cannot buy you back. When you are destroyed, only thing that can really, really bring you back is time. Yes. So I needed time with no stress. I needed time to sleep. I needed time to prepare my meals. I needed time to to go for walks mm-hmm. and hikes and meditate and relax. And I needed time. So it wasn't money. Like I always tell people this, if money is your ultimate goal with your business, you better find some other motivating factor because there might be a year you don't make any. Yes. So real, so real. And I think this is like, this is the advice people need to hear because it is 
not the normal advice when you are building a business. I think revenue, revenue, revenue is what we hear so often. And I've stepped away from some really lucrative situations where I was just like so overstressed. I didn't even like know who I was anymore. Mm -hmm. That was so confusing for people. And I think you have to be true to yourself. Like you really do have to follow that and know there is only one you. I love how you worded that. Um, It was a lesson. When I say it was a lesson, it was like a real lesson. It's now embedded in the brand. It became part of the brand because I realized a lot of people are getting these sound bites of, you know, get your ass up and work. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, do this. You know, I I got a million dollars right when my on my first pitch. Um, I grew this brand, you know, exponentially in two years, and now we're everywhere. That is not the case with me at all, and it never will be, because I'm always going to prioritize my health first. I'm always going to prioritize myself first. If it doesn't feel good to me, if it burns me out, even if it irritates me, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's just not worth it. It really isn't. I mean, you can't die with your money. <laughs> no, you can't. I heard you know? this too. No one at your funeral will be talking about your job title. Not at all. You can't take any of it with you. So all you can do is hope to live a long, healthy life, yeah. you know, to stick around and grab as many memories as possible. You know, it's like, I, I think of myself of, of being in like one of those, um, cash machines where you like get inside and the air is going everywhere and the money's flying everywhere and you're like trying to grab some of it, but you really can't grab cash. You can't like no one ever comes out of those machines with tons of money. You can't get it, but you you can get air, right? You can grab the air. So just grab the memories. You're not you're like the memory of doing that is probably more powerful than the money. No one ever comes out of those things with money in their pockets. It's not a cash grab. It's like an experience. You're going in for fun. You're going into those things for fun. You watch them on TV for fun. You're not getting, you're not, and you're never gonna leave out of that thing a millionaire. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh my god. It's for fun. It's for the experience. It's it's hysterical. It makes you laugh. It gives you an adrenaline rush. It, it creates all these emotions, but you're never going to get out of there, millionaire. Oh, Leslie, this has been so good, not just for my listeners, but for me. You don't know how relevant a lot of your advice is just even for me. Oh, I love to hear that. It's it's so important for us to be honest and be real with each other. Yeah. You know, not all of us are going to hit the jackpot. Not all of us are going to be lucky enough to do something like Emily Weiss. Like all of us aren't going to have that story. And, you know, um, we're just, most of us will never make it to the cover of Forbes. But that doesn't mean that our experience is any less relevant. If anything, we represent the 99% that won't make it there. Right. There's that one small percent of people who really do, and those powerful women who really do make it so far. And and kudos and congratulations. And that's aspirational. And those are the things that, like, gosh, you look at and you're like, how did you do it? You know, you you admire that, but there's the 90% that don't do that. And then there's the me that's not willing to compromise on anything, and certainly not my health. I'm always going to center me first on every decision. And I think that a lot of people have to start thinking about that. Yes, the business is important. But there is no business without you. Completely, completely agree. Okay, last question, which just to sum it all up, I feel like you've given so many good bits of wisdom, but what would be your number one piece of advice for someone who is wanting to start their own business? Oh my gosh, solve a problem. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds so cliche and like so YouTube TED Talk, but literally solve a problem. (laughs) Solve a problem. The world doesn't need any more skincare. The world doesn't need another makeup brand. Solve a problem. Yeah. That's what it is. It's like 
if there, if you don't see a problem that doesn't need to be solved, you don't need to do it. Yeah. Look, like if it doesn't need to be, if you're like, oh, I, I, I just want to do this for my, the sake of me. If it centers you and it's like, I want to do it for me or for, for money or things like that. It has to be for the consumer. It has to be for someone. When I started Clare, it was for my clients. When I, you know, left Urban Outfitters, it was to build a better brand. And when I left Urban Outfitters, it was for me, for my own sanity. But you solve a problem. It doesn't sound like big advice. I think we gave a lot, given a lot here, but <laughs> I really do think that a lot of brands are missing the mark. And builds, how can you build something to last if it's not solving something? No, I think it's such good advice and such a good reminder, just getting out of our own head of how can we look cool? How can we do this for us? Like, what can we do on a larger scale for the world? Absolutely. I mean, I don't plan on being the biggest brand in the world, but that does not stop me from having a big impact. Yeah. And um, I think people need to realize that like you don't have to um, like be, you really don't work hard to be mediocre. That's my advice. <laughs> don't work hard to be mediocre. Work slow and at a good pace to do something amazing and solve a problem. Mm, so good. Leslie, thank you so much for coming on. It was so lovely to meet. Oh, I love this. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.